right, good morning. Great to have you here today. I'm going to invite you to take out your uh, outline, if you would, out of your bulletin. It is entitled, Overcoming Storms of Failures. We're on now our fourth week of messages in our storm series. And as we talk about the storms of failure, just so I know that we are in good company, if you would, by show of hands, um, raise your hand if you have ever failed at anything in your life at all at some time or another. Got it. Okay, good, good. How about any of you ever got an F on a class or a big test or something like that? Okay, a lot of you as well. All right. Um, I don't like to admit this, but I got an F one time on a major test in seminary, of all places. It it was not in preaching. Some of you may feel that, but it was not in preaching. Um, But uh, in this class, there were going to be two major exams and then a final paper. And uh, this first uh, exam, I just really blew off. And, and I admit I did. Um, I just, I think I'd started working here at the church. I'd started dating my wife. I was trying to get, or my uh, girlfriend at the time. Um, but I was trying to get an A in that. I think I succeeded in that. That's what really counts. And, um, but I got an F on, on uh, a test. And so it was, as I calculated out the score, it was one point away from a D. And so I went and I begged the professor and I said, hey, would you consider rereading this and just seeing if there's any places where maybe I could have gotten one more point because then it gets recorded as a D and, you know, feeling much better about a D than an F, right? So, so he said, you know what? I'm not opposed to that. I will look over it, come back tomorrow. And so I walked back into his office the next day, you know, kind of chipper, kind of cheery, kind of, you know, grace-filled, right? Wanting grace to be given back and forth. And um, not only did he not um, raise my grade uh, by adding a point, he actually found more errors on my exam and brought me lower on that score. I kid you not. I kid you not. And uh, I am thinking, you know what, when you die, say hello to Hitler at this point in time is is what I'm kind of thinking on this. I mean, I just have like, you know, the big F on my head walking down the hallways. But I walked past uh, one of the doors to one of my other professors who was one of my favorite professors. And I looked up right in front of his door. I wasn't planning on going in there, but I looked up and on his door was this cartoon. Go ahead and show this. I, I found this on the internet. It reminded me of it and it was exactly what was there. Go ahead. Kind of this um, picture. And it has stuck with me for 25 years. Never give up. Never give up. Never give up. Well, today we're going to look at the life of someone who was in a storm in the Bible, who for all intents and purposes gave up and failed his assignment, and in the midst of all of it, had a bad attitude in doing it as well. And so we're going to be talking about the man with the giant fish or the giant whale. We're talking about Jonah. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of Jonah. And I will give you a pass on this one as far as the table of contents. All right, just go straight to it. My my Bible only has like two pages devoted to Jonah. So if you can't find it, that is no problem. Table of contents uh, helps us out a lot. Some historians, just as you're looking for that, some historians tell us Jonah's story is the oldest existing story of a storm at sea, 
Um, very, very popular story. In fact, I did a Google search this week of typing in Jonah and the whale. Some two million results came up for those words, Jonah and the whale. Over 150 children's books um, have Jonah and Jonah the whale in their title. You could probably find some books out there that have Jonah and Jonah and the whale in them. Archaeologists say that there were 20 times more references in early Christian art to Jonah only second, or uh, Jonah is, is by and far above first place. Do you know who would be in second place as far as early Christian art what, stories? Noah. Yeah, I heard Noah there. Noah um, comes in second place, but a distant, distant second place to popularity in kind of a story that people remember and often talk about and often think of. And, and I'll tell you why I think so. The reason I think so is because Jonah is one of us. I mean, he's a real guy. He fails, he sulks, he's disobedient. God tells him to do something, he does just the opposite. Anybody in here like any of those things right there? Okay, right? Like, just like us, right? He's a real person. But the most amazing thing about Jonah's story is that it also reveals that we have a God of second chances. And a God who wants to pour his love out not only on us, but on other people and other cultures as well. And so we're going to follow Jonah's story through here. And I think throughout this time, we're going to see ourselves right in the middle of this story. So if you have your outline, pull that out. Have your Bible open. You have it there as well. We'll have verses up on the screen. But here, I want to trace this story through the phases of failure in Jonah's story as he experiences a literal storm, but also a figurative storm in his life. And so the first phase I want to draw your attention to is the choice phase. The choice phase. And that's found in Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Let me read that to you. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up against me. Now, let me kind of set where this Nineveh is, because Nineveh is kind of an interesting city. It's in modern-day Iraq, of all places. Um, the city now is called Mosul, but here is Nineveh back in the day. Um, it, uh, the Ninevites were um, devout enemies of the chosen people of God's people, the Jewish nation. Uh, Jonah would have, in fact, in the midst of this, would have loved to have seen this whole entire nation wiped out, not saved, as God says he's going to do here. Um, The Ninevites uh, were a barbaric culture. They would torture people regularly. In fact, they would brag about it. They would write up about it, how much they torture people and discover new kinds of torture for them. And so when God tells Jonah to get up and go, Jonah gets up and goes, but he goes the other way. That's right. And so in verse 3, it says, but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of of the Lord. Again, let me show you kind of a map here. Tarshish is like the other side of the known world. So here is here is Israel, Nineveh is up over in this way in this way. Jonah goes down to Joppa and then gets on a boat 
headed for Tarshish, which is in modern-day Spain, Portugal, over in that area. Um, The other side of the world, the, the known world at the time. In fact, boats only left for Tarshish once every three months. And Jonah finds himself down on the dock when the boat is getting ready to leave, which brings up a very interesting point. Sometimes it's convenient to do the wrong thing. You can't just rely upon circumstances. You can't just rely upon, well, here's an open door. I think I'm going to go through it. In fact, sometimes you can even kind of set yourself up to say, oh, circumstances are dictating I can go this way. When you know good and well, God has spoke differently to you. You know good and well that God's word says it differently. In fact, if you're looking for guidance and counsel on what your next step in life should be, nothing about that decision should go against what's in God's word. Nothing should go against godly wisdom and counsel that you should have in your life as well. And nothing should go against the Holy Spirit that speaks to us. And that's how God speaks to us. And so if you're looking for next steps, don't try and rationalize something. If it goes against what's in God's word, if it goes against godly, wise counsel that is in your life, and if it goes against God's Holy Spirit that speaks to you. And Jonah's doing that because Jonah heads the opposite way. He flees from the Lord. He flees from the Lord's presence, thinking he can get away, which actually brings up a main theme in the story of Jonah, and that is you can run, but you can't hide. That's right. Perhaps there are some of you who are hiding out today. In fact, maybe you're even hiding out right here. Maybe it's something in your marriage. But you know you're not going the right way. You should. Maybe it's something in your career. Maybe it's something that God is trying to guide you over and you're just not listening to that. Maybe it's not getting in front of God in your devotional life or spending time there. Maybe it's in a ministry and you know know God wants you to take another step. You know, we've had over 600 people get involved in our community groups around the city of Stockton, over 40 groups that we have going on. And if you're not in one of those, I, I certainly would hope that you would jump in. Probably the easiest way to get in is on Wednesday night. We have one that goes on here on the grounds um, at 6.15. Uh, step up. Don't, don't resist what God's telling you. Don't resist being in community with God. It's not too late to jump in there. Maybe there's some life-changing experience that you know. You know you need to take that step, and yet you're not doing it yet. Maybe it's turning your life over to God. Maybe it's something about faith. That you're just kind of sweeping. Maybe you should be sharing your faith more at work and you know God's put that upon your heart and yet you're just kind of being resistant to it. Maybe it's an unforgiving spirit towards a loved one, towards a family member, towards a neighbor. Maybe it's even towards someone here at the church. Maybe it's towards a pastor. Maybe it's towards someone who's sitting right next to us today. And you know you're running from God. You're running the other way. Jonah battled that. And when those kinds of things, when we run from God, that's when the storms of life can really come crashing in. Which takes us to the second phase, and that is the consequence phase that comes up for Jonah. The consequence phase. Let's read about it. Jonah chapter 1 verse 4. Says, but the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest or storm on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. But check out what Jonah's doing here. Check him out in verse 5. 
It says, but Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. NIV, I think, says he was in a deep sleep. He wants to withdraw from life. He doesn't want to have to deal with it right now. He's just saying, just let me sleep. Just let the world go away from me now. I don't want to have to deal with things now. Maybe you would say that he was depressed. And Jonah's just wanting it all to kind of go away. Verse 6. So the captain came to see, uh, came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought to us and that we may not perish. Goes on to verse 7. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then he said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. But Jonah is copying to nothing. He doesn't want them to know. He's not giving them details. In fact, he answers as little as he possibly can with as little information as he can to get by. Look at verse 9. It says, And he said to them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because Jonah had told them that part of the story. Verse 11, Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down? And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will grow quiet for you, for I know it is because of me that this great storm or tempest has come upon you. Now, at this point, you may be thinking, oh, great, Jonah, you're doing the right thing. You're, you know, being cast into the ocean. I happen to look at this differently. I think Jonah is displaying his ultimate bad attitude because um, he could have said, you know what, guys, this is my fault, my bad, going the wrong way, turn the boat around. If you turn it around, head back to Joppa, I'll go up to Nineveh, we'll all be taken care of, but he doesn't do that, does he? What does Jonah do? He says, just throw me overboard. Just go ahead, just toss me out. That's not what God wanted. God didn't want him going that way. Instead, Jonah says, just kill me. In fact, I'd rather die than do what God wants me to do. Instead of making a U-turn, Jonah goes overboard. Literally, he goes overboard. He says, just just throw me out. Do we do that sometimes? I mean, think about it. God, if, if you just get me out of this situation... I will never, ever, 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 ever sin ever again, ever. God, just get me out of this this DUI. Man, don't let my parents know. Don't let my wife know. Don't let my husband know. Just get me out of this DUI. Don't let me have to pay that hefty, hefty fine. And I will never, ever drink again in my life. God, I'm pregnant. God, if, if you just make this a false pregnant, I, a pregnancy, I will never, ever look at a guy uh, ever, ever again. <laughs> God, get me out of this. Get me out of this situation. God, if I don't get caught this time, I will become a nun. I will become a monk. I, I just, just, just. No, we won't, will you? 
We just said it. We go overboard. God does not want your overboard overreactions. He just wants your U-turn. That's what repentance is. Repentance repentance is is taking a U-turn. It's going in the right direction because overreactive martyrdom solves nothing. That God wanted Jonah to change, not die. And this is where we see God's grace. See, today we know God's grace in the form of Jesus and what Jesus did for us on the cross. Jonah didn't know that yet. He didn't know Jesus. Jesus hadn't come into the world yet, but he did hear God's grace, and he rejected it. He said, "Uh uh-uh, no thanks. However, God can work even in our uh uh-uh, no thanks. Watch this. Verse 15. So they picked up Jonah, hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then in verse 17 it says, And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, you know, it's interesting if you go on the internet and look at some accounts of people who claim that they know people who have been swallowed by fish, and some will say, oh, that can never happen, that wouldn't be logical, scientifically that couldn't happen. Others said, oh, yes, we've seen accounts of this and taking place and such. I I don't know, I I do know that this is true, and so God's word is very true, and whether it happened one time or it happened numerous times, I don't know about that, but it's interesting because it reminds me of the story about this little girl who was in um, a class at her school and the teacher told the students, said, there are no creatures in the sea that can swallow a person whole. Cannot be done. The little girl kind of raises her hand and says, but teacher, what about, what about Jonah? The teacher kind of scoffs at that, says, nope, that story was impossible. Never, ever could have happened. The little girl says, well, you know, when I get to heaven, then I'll ask Jonah myself. And the teacher replies, well, wonder if Jonah isn't in heaven. The little girl says, well, then I guess you can ask him. (laughs) Along with my seminary professor, right? Right? No, just joking about that one. But Jonah's thrown overboard, and God brings a fish its way, swallowed three days and three nights in the belly, and we enter into the third phase, which is on the back of your outline, and it's the crossroads phase. The crossroads phase. Because every time you hit the storm of failure, you're at a crossroads. Many people think it's a dead end. It's not a dead end. It's a crossroads. And it's deciding which way you're going to go. See, any storm you encounter leads you to one of three responses. And I know I didn't write these down, but if you want to just write these down in the blank as I give them to you, I think they'll help you see where maybe you may be today. One of three responses in a storm that you're in. You can either uh, choose flight, and that is running from God. We see Jonah. He does that, right? He says, "Uh uh-uh, no way. I'm not doing that. I'm going another way. You can choose flight. Or you can choose to fight. That is, you can get angry at God. And we see Jonah gets angry in this story as well at God. You can choose flight or fight or the third response, and that is a faith response. And that is to turn to God. Flight, fight, or faith. Where are you today? 
Where did you walk into this sanctuary running from or who running from or what situation may be running from? Or what situation have you been angry at God for because he brought about or you think he brought about? Or maybe you're in a faith response. Maybe you're here today saying, okay, God, you got me. Let me listen. I want to make a change. I want to do something differently. Jonah tried the fighting phase. Jonah tried the flight phase. Now he's in the belly of a fish, and it's a faith response that he comes up with. Look at Jonah chapter 2. Not part of the story that many of us probably read, but here's what Jonah was thinking while he was in the belly. It says, verse 1 of chapter 2, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I I cried, and you heard my voice. Down to verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Get the picture there? Thrown into the water. Now watch this. Weeds were wrapped around my head. Read that. Maybe even seaweed was wrapped around my head. Verse 8. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Have you walked in here today with some idols? Have you walked in here today with some things that you have placed above God? Have you walked in here today saying that I'm serving God, I'm listening more to these things than I am of serving God? Listen to that verse again. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I with the voice now of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay for its salvation that belongs to the Lord. So, so Jonah's going through all this. He's got this anger stage. He's got this flight and fight stage going on. And now he comes to this faith stage. And that response that happens there at the crossroads leads him then to the last phase that's on your outline. And that leads to what we're going to spend more of our time on here today, the second chance phase. The second chance phase. Look at the end of verse two, uh, chapter 2. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. And so Jonah gets this second chance, and this time he obeys. But here's the unfortunate thing. Jonah still smelled like the belly of a whale. There's some consequences to disobedience, isn't there? Jonah probably looked different. Jonah smelled differently. Jonah was worse for the wear. Jonah could have saved himself a lot of time, a lot of fret, a lot of anger, a lot of worry, a lot of mishap. You know, he did. His disobedience took him down a wrong path. And even though God gives him a second chance, even though God now has him on the right place and going, the right, uh, 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 going towards the right area that he should have been on, even though Jonah is on the right road now, things are different. There's consequences to our disobedience, isn't there? See, that's what happens when we uh, 
drive too close to the row or to the cliff, maybe drive too fast around a cliff. When I do premarital counseling with couples or see a lot of young people, I, I, I talk to them about some of the pitfalls, some of the dangers of sliding off the cliff or coming too close to the cliff, taking their car, or literally speaking their lives too, uh, too fast around those corners. Some of you know, actually probably all of us could step up onto this stage and give a testimony about even though now we have a second chance and go in the second chance way, that we still have some scars, we still have some hurts, we still have some storms that we went through and maybe it's made us worse for wear. We feel that, we know that, and yet ultimately God is a God of second chances because his word dictates that and shares that and says that. You know, I, I got a few emails from people this week kind of drawing my attention to the situation that's going on in Houston. Some of you may not be aware of this, but some of the pastors down in Houston had spoken out against homosexuality, spoken out against God's teaching on that and other things like that. And the mayor of Houston subpoenaed their, their messages, their sermons, and said, we want to see those. You're in contempt of order of, of the court. And um, just a big upheaval on that. And the, and the five pastors spoke out, spoke together and said, nope, we speak God's truth. God's truth will never go away. I got to say that as well. From this pulpit, we will always have God's truth. We will never hide God's truth, even if it says differently in the laws of our courts. We'll still share God's word. That's why I hope you are here tonight. I hope you are here to be able to speak with these candidates. You've written up questions the last couple of weeks to remind them and to show them that faith makes a difference. It makes a difference to us. We hope it makes a difference to them. And we'll talk to them and we'll share some questions. Pastor Mark will moderate that and we will be very polite. We will be very friendly. We will not be angry people. If their responses are different than what we think, we will be loving people. But we will also vote our values and we'll vote what God puts upon our heart. That's why we're doing that type of a thing. And I pray we will never get off track. When we won't, if we continue to open up this word and keep it primary, not only here in this pulpit, but also in each of our lives. And I pray that you're reading God's word. I pray that it's speaking to you because, again, Jonah now has a second chance. And he's going down the right track, sort of. Because it doesn't last very long. Remember, Jonah's got this bad attitude going on, doesn't he? It's kind of a theme throughout his days. And in verse 4 of chapter 3, he gives a heavy dose. His bad attitude, I think, spills over. And he gives this heavy dose of condemnation to Nineveh. And there's not a lot of grace. Look at what it says in, in verse 4 of chapter 3. Says Jonah began to go into the city, go in a day's journey, and he calls out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I think he actually enjoyed saying that. But watch what happens. A strange thing happens. Verse 5 The people of Nineveh believed God. And they called for a fast, and they put on sackcloth, they repented. From the greatest of them to the least of them. In other words, it worked. It actually worked. God told Jonah what to do. God said, or Jonah said it. It worked. But watch what happens here in verse 10. 
When God saw what they did, how they turned from the evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said that he would do to them, and he did not do it. Now watch this, verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4. But it displeased who? Oh my goodness, Jonah. Jonah. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. You get what's going on there? He's saying, God, I knew you were a God of second chances. That's why I didn't want to do this. I've hated these people from the Ninevites. I've hated them. Hated them. I don't want to have anything to do with them. And I don't know if it was to him personally or some of his family members, but he knew that the Jews and the Ninevites were, were exact opposites and they hated each other. And Jonah did not want to see the repentance going on. Jonah's got this bad attitude that is, is, is throughout the story. Even when he turns to a faith response in chapter 2. You see it come right back out in, in chapter 3. Look at verse 3 of chapter 4. It says, Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Isn't that Jonah again, like at the beginning? He's like, throw me overboard. I'd rather just go overboard and die than make a U-turn. And so here it is again. Just kill me. Please take my life from me. For it is better for me to die than to live. And then he climbs up on this hillside and he sulks. And the book of Jonah ends in an odd sort of way. It ends with Jonah being angry enough to die because God doesn't kill the Ninevites that Jonah still held a grudge against. Jonah wanted to see fire cast from the sky. He wanted to see some old-fashioned smitten going on down there. And it didn't happen. God relented. The people repented. He changed. He didn't do what he said he was going to do. And Jonah's not happy about it because Jonah's got a bad attitude. God says, Jonah, you have no right to be angry. No one is outside of my grace. No one, Jonah. So why do you take that upon yourself to be the bad attitude one? You know, I got to just say that about us here at First Baptist. I have not picked up a, a, a hint of this, but if we ever do, I have to remind you what Jonah's going through here. If you ever pick up that, you know what, this church is not what it used to be, you know what, there's new people coming in here and they're sitting in my seat, right? And they don't look the way I look. They don't smell the way I smell. They don't do the things I do. Why are they in here? That's exactly why they're in here. They need the Lord in their lives. And I would pray that we are accepting those people. I would pray that we would move over for those people. I pray that we would not put our books and our purses and other things on the chairs and give us room, right? Some of us like to slide in here. Whoop, put it right there. Whoop, put it right there. Ah, right? Right? Some of you are there, aren't you? Okay? Okay? Consolidate, okay? So you can just carry small things to church so you can leave seats open beside you. People can come and people can sit. Look what happens there in verse 11. 
God says, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 people who do not know their right hand from their left? You know what that, that's a little um, phrase that means they are children. They are spiritual children. They don't know their right hand from their left hand. Shouldn't I pity them? And God's saying, Jonah, I can't work with you anymore because your attitude stinks. I wanted to use you, but your attitude disqualifies you. You got a bad attitude. The film uh, Facing the Giants is a small budget movie that was made 2006, 2007 back there by a church in Albany, Georgia. And um, it was a small budget movie, but it had a huge success. In fact, I would venture to say that a lot of the movies that are in the movie theaters today with much Christian values and a whole realm that appeals to the Christian um, church and, and such were a result from this first movie and how popular it was. Um, so I want to show you a clip. It's a clip that's a little bit longer than I normally show, but it shows a valuable lesson um, that is communicated by a coach. In this movie, um, it's a football movie. Um, he has the students and the athletes doing drills at practice time, and it's called the death crawl scene because there's a there's a, a, um, a skill that is learned in football where the coach tries to push you and push you and push you and push you to do your very best. And one of the leaders on the team is doing this death crawl experiment. He actually blindfolds him because the guy says, I can't go as far as you're wanting me to go. And the coach says, you can go farther. You can go farther. You can go farther. And putting someone on your back, you can still do it. And so watch this scene and see how this plays out about having a good attitude as compared to a bad attitude and what results we gain from it. Let's go ahead and roll that. I get a good tight hold, Jeremy. All right. Let's go, Brock. Keep your knees off the ground. Just your hands and feet. There you go. A little bit left. There you go. Show me good effort. That way, Brock. You keep coming. There you go. It's a good start. A little bit left. A little bit left. There you go, Brock. Good strength. <laughs> That's it, Brock. That's it. Not another 20 yet? Forget the 20. You give me your best. You keep going. That's it. No, don't stop, Brock. You got more in you than that. I ain't done. I'm just resting a second. You got to keep moving. Let's keep moving. Let's go. Don't quit till you got nothing left. There you go. Keep moving. Keep moving. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Your very best. Your very best. Your very best. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. Don't quit on me. Keep going. Keep driving it. Keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. That's it. Your very best. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. That's it. You keep driving. Keep your knees off the ground. Keep driving it. Don't quit till you got nothing left. Keep moving, Brock. That's it. That's it. That's it. Keep going. I want everything you got. Come on, keep going. It hurts. Don't quit on me. Your very best. Keep driving. Keep driving. There you go. There you go. He's heavy. I know I'm, he's heavy. I'm bad out of strength. Then you negotiate with your body to find more strength, but don't you give up on me, Brock. You keep going. You hear me? You keep going. You're doing good. You keep going. Do not quit on me. You keep going. It hurts. I know it hurts. 
work. You keep going. You keep going. It's all art from here. 30 more steps. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Keep going. Burn. And let it burn. Ours are burning. It's all art. You keep going, Brock. Come on. Come on. Keep going. You probably your best. Your best. Don't stop. Keep going. Too hard. It's not too hard. You keep going. Come on, Brock. Give me more. Give me more. Keep going. 20 more steps. 20 more. Keep going, Brock. What perhaps are you holding back from God? That's disqualifying you from going to the 50 or the 100 yard mark. Bad attitude? Unforgiving spirit? Maybe, uh, maybe you have feelings of failure or inadequacy and you feel like God could never use me. Just not true. In fact, let me tell you one last illustration. It's a story about a um, famous story about a ship that was tossed and turned in a um, tremendous storm at sea many years ago. In fact, let me just read it to you. It's a ship called the Greyhound that had been thrashed by a fierce North Atlantic storm for over a week. It's a true story. Sails were ripped off. One of the sides was kind of splintered away. And so the sailors had no hope of actually surviving out there on the sea. And in this 11th day of what they called the storm of the decade, the captain of the ship ordered a sailor to go up on board Sailor's name was John, too exhausted to even stand upright, was tied onto the helm to steer the ship and to see what he could do from 1 o'clock in the afternoon until 12 o'clock midnight. And with the storm raging fiercely, John had time to think about his life and the life that he had lived and which seemed ruined as much as this ship had been ruined in this storm that they were going and he was trying to steer through. Since the age 11, John uh, lived a life at sea. In fact, he had a reputation for profanity and debauchery that shocked even the harshest of sailors that he was with. John's nickname was the Great Blasphemer. And he sank to a new low when he worked on a ship that traded slaves. And thus he found himself. All this despite a mother who had prayed for him and prayed that he would even be a pastor one day. But when she passed away, when he was young, 
he uh, turned from any of that religious talk. And in fact, at this time, in this age that he was in, he tried to destroy Christians and destroy Christianity. And anybody on the ship, he would battle them, put them down, um, be angry at them for even talking about that. And he began to think about this as he stirred the ship through the storm that was going on. And then something happened. He recorded a day later in his ship's journal that when it seemed as though the ship would surely sink, he prayed his first prayer of his adult life. And it was, Lord, have mercy on us. In fact, he said it and it shocked him. He wrote to a friend later that what mercy could there be on me, such a sinner? Well, after the storm, the ship barely made any progress, and the sailors were down to just a tiny bit of ration and dried fish as they just kind of sailed on the sea, or more appropriately, just kind of floated on the sea. They all believed they were still going to die, and they fixed blame on John. He kind of became the Jonah figure of the boat. They believed that because of his blasphemy against God, that God was judging them, but the ship limped home. And as it did things began to change in John. Eventually, John gave up the slave trade and worked for a complete abolition of slavery in Britain. He even became a pastor and became a Christian songwriter. But it was one song that John wrote, and his name, by the way, is John Newton. It's one song that John Newton wrote that was an autobiographical song that became, and still is today, one of the most popular songs in the English language. He called it In Faith's Review and Expectation, but we know it by just two words, amazing, amazing grace. The storm of the century that rocked that ship's crew rocked him back into a relationship or into, for the first time, a relationship with God of which that song Amazing Grace sings about that saved a wretch like me. John Newton understood what we miss many times and that is in storms of failure, God reaches out to you in his grace. Amen? But it's our duty to reach back up to him. It's our responsibility to say yes. Let me go back to Jonah. Because we left Jonah sitting on a hillside. We left him with a bad attitude. We left him with wanting to see the whole city blow up. And the story really doesn't tie up in a nice, neat bow and end well. In fact, what it seems like the writer of the book of Jonah is doing is throwing all of us into the story. And it ends with now, what are you going to do? It ends with Jonah sitting there with a bad attitude, sulking, looking out over these people and God saying, I love them and I need your help to help give them my grace. And so today, we are all in that boat. We are all sitting on that hillside. My question is, what are you going to do? Where's your attitude going to take you? Just give up? Do you fight against God? Do you fight against him? Or do you turn to faith? I pray that today you do. That you take a faith step here today. 
And just before we sing the words of that song, Amazing Grace, why don't we go and calm, quiet our hearts so that God can speak to us with what step he wants us to take. Would you pray with me? God, our prayer today is that just like Jonah, you have given us a second chance. And my prayer today is that we would do with that second chance as your Holy Spirit would lead, not ourselves, not our desires, not the desires of the world, but God, what your Holy Spirit would want for us. Lord, we're sinful people. We know that. Maybe we've come in here today having a hard time forgiving people like the Ninevites. Maybe you've had a hard time forgiving a roommate or an ex-girlfriend or an ex-boyfriend. Maybe you've had a hard time forgiving an ex-spouse. Maybe it's been an ex-business partner. Or maybe it's a nationality. Maybe you are ticked off that God's allowing other people to be successful or seemingly to be successful in this world Much like Jonah didn't like the fact that the Ninevites turned. And you're not really accepting of that. God, may we be people who see with your eyes, who listen with your ears. May we be people who follow what you say, that this world needs to know about Jesus. May we be the people who share that grace. May we be people who live in that grace. And folks, today, if you are here and you know that you're running from God, in fact, maybe you have never turned to God. Maybe you have never given your life over to him. Today, God's spirit is knocking on your heart. And it says, come. My grace is sufficient for you. In fact, if you feel that step that you're ready to take today, here's what I want to guide you through. That if today you can pray and just pray these words in your heart, Lord Jesus, I pray that you come into my life today. I realize you are grace embodied who went to the cross to die for me. And so today I accept you by faith. I make a U-turn from living the life that I have lived. And today I choose to follow you. Would you come into my heart? I accept you by faith. You know, if you just prayed a prayer similar to that, I'd encourage you to come down after the service and talk to me, talk to one of our staff members here, or perhaps talk to the person that you came into the service with. They'll get you connected to me or out in the Next Step Center, it's in our Welcome Center. They have some information about how you can take your next step and what it means to be a follower of Jesus. God, I thank you that even today as we've prayed this prayer, that there have been some who have said yes to you. God, I thank you for the people in this congregation as well, who for years we have followed your word. We don't ever want to get the bad attitude. We don't ever want to get teaching going our own way. And so, Lord, we adhere to what your word says. May we live that out. And, Lord, today, if our attitude is not on track with you, we admit that. And we turn towards you. God, thank you that you're a God of second chances. Thank you that we now worship you. We sing a song that's been sung for many, 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 many years. Amazing grace. God, we live in that grace. Thank you that it's for us. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.